three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode 110. Here we are. It's yeah. been a little bit. Josh and I didn't film one on Thursday. I feel like I feel like it feels like it's been longer than it's been. <laughs> yeah. Does that kind of make sense? No, it does. It fe- like it's only been like a week and a half, but it feels like it's been longer than it's been because the last three that we did, last two that we did, mm-hmm. have been just watching a video screen and not really engaging with each other. That's very true. So we're back. Um, if you guys haven't missed it, our last three, last four episodes have been a three-part series we did discussing, um, you know, balanced dog training and force-free dog training and some of the conflict that's been going on against each other. And mm-hmm. um, those videos have really, really taken off. I mean, the yeah. first one gained a ton of traction. I think we got right now, I think like 6,000 views on it or something like that. Uh, which is not too shabby for like an hour and a half long episode. Yeah. And then all the other ones are have done extremely well. So tons of engagement, tons of questions, tons of people just putting their opinion into things and stuff. And I think, you know, I can understand for some people, you know, maybe those last three episodes were like either you didn't care about them or you were annoyed about them or whatever, because it is kind of a little bit of like dog trainer drama, if mm. you will. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I think that it's it, it was an important conversation for me to kind of put my two cents into to help continue to educate people on what is going on in the dog world. Because we are in a position right now where, um, you know, there's there's serious potential in the states right now that they're going to start putting legislation on tools that we're using, e-collars, prong collars, things like that. And we have a ton of clients, ton of people that listen to this show, ton of people in general that use those every day and rely on those every day in order for them to continue doing the things with their dog that they love doing. So, mm-hmm. so if that hypothetically happens, like that could really, really, really put a, a, a wrench into <clears throat> a wrench into uh, uh, the dog training industry as a whole, as you as you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a serious thing. Right. And that's why I wanted to put my two cents into it and help articulate my stance on the issue, help articulate and dissect everybody else's stance on the issue mm-hmm. and uh, and just kind of make everybody aware of it. But outside of that, we're kind of past that right now. Um, there's nothing really further to discuss on the situation. So we're just going to get back into some just good old fashioned <laughs> dog training stuff. Let's go. I think. I think my my final two cents on that too, though, is the the amount of comments and discourse that we got through yeah. that. You know, just shows you know that we're not just hating on some guy or or or, or seeing an opposing view, like as just a mm-hmm. you know you as a dog trainer talking about other dog trainers. Like this is an actual issue that regular owners and regular people see. Yeah, that you know that there is a uh, a wave of indifference in the dog training world, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not just trainers seeing it; it's it's everyday people. Sure. You know? So I think that's was my my favorite part of you know being on the YouTube and yeah and and looking at these comments that you're replying to and 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 seeing that people really do care about this issue, you know? Well, I just look at, right, so like my relationship that I have with my dogs, right? And and mm-hmm. this is a conversation that, that can go really far. We're not going to get super crazy with it, obviously. But mm-hmm. like, obviously, I use e-collars with my dogs, mm-hmm. right? Could I hypothetically get my dogs to do whatever I need to without the e-collar? Like, yeah, but like, 
the amount of security that that tool provides me and, and, and mentally puts me in a position where I feel comfortable doing some of the things I do, like taking them into very you know, crowded public areas, right? Mm-hmm. Like letting them off leash to run in areas where there may be wildlife or deer around and stuff like that. And and just knowing that, you know, I have that backup. It's it's no different than saying like I could drive a car without a seatbelt, right? Like mm-hmm. and I feel pretty damn confident that you know, I've, I've been driving now for, what, fucking 15 years or something like that? Yeah. And, and have successfully not been knock on wood, right, <laughs> in, like, a major, 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 you know, accident or anything yeah. like that, like anything, like, life-threatening. But, like, I sure do feel a hell of a lot safer knowing that I have that backup, right? And I'm yeah. sure I could I could be more critical thinking and think of further ways to help make sure that I'm being a better defensive driver to make sure I don't put myself in a bad situation and, mm-hmm. and avoid maybe high traffic locations or places where there might be a lot of accidents that happen and this and that to reduce the risk where if I wasn't using that seatbelt, I would be okay. Yeah. But I don't want to do that, right? The convenience factor of me being able to drive on the busy interstates and go downtown during sporting events and this and that. And I'm really humanizing this right now. Yeah. But but that's how I look at the e-collar, right? Yeah. Sure, maybe I could not take my dogs off leash in the golf course that's behind my house to let them run around where there's a lot of wildlife. Or maybe I could go buy a 50-foot leash and let them drag that around forever for the end of time. Or if they go to run after something, I can stop them with it. Or mm-hmm. or maybe I could, I could focus a little bit more on when I take them out there, doing more recalls with positive reinforcement and, and, and building more engagement with me and stuff like that like I did when they were younger. But it's like the way we do things is so nice. It doesn't create a lot of stress for me where I need to go into those environments every single time, like on my 100% A game, ready to do all of this training and ready to to be really strategic with managing and preventing issues and this and that, mm. where I could just go and micromanage them, right? I could just go into those environments and I could just let them be a dog, yeah, right? And I could just not need to worry about it. And my wife and I can have a good time and talk to each other and not feel like we have this absolute split second hair reaction time all the time in case something happens Mm. because I can't correct them from a distance when they're off leash with the e-collar if they make an improper choice. And you know what? A lot of people will look at that. And I was listening to, there was a podcast that came out recently with Ivan again and Susan Garrett, who's a a very, 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 very well-established force retrain, like a really good one, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to discredit anything that she does, obviously, right? But at one point, they were discussing e-collars, and Susan said her younger dog that she had, if she was an e-collar trainer, he would have been able to enjoy himself much earlier in life. He would have been, like, she lives on, like, 16 acres. He would have been able to run free and this and that. But because she chose to be a positive reinforcement trainer, she didn't do that, and he had to wait a couple years longer before he could enjoy a lot of the off-leash freedom because, obviously, it's a little Mm -hmm. bit more time-consuming, right? Yeah. And, And she said that, Using the e-collar would have inhibited her ability to be growth-minded or something like that, right? Mm. Meaning all those skills and techniques and, 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 and things she needed to learn to manage the dog while he was off-leash and create, like, you know, differential reinforcements and, and mm. keep the dog's attention and make it just so that it's more reliable, uh, when she's off leash, she wouldn't have learned how to do all of those things, which is why people shouldn't <laughs> use e-collars. To which Ivan said, 
doesn't that sound exhausting? Yeah. Like if you as a professional dog trainer took that long to be able to get to a place where you trusted your dog off leash and you probably still have a high degree of management at play that you need to do to make sure that the dog isn't taking off after things, yeah. your average owner isn't going to do that. And me as a professional dog trainer, I don't want to have to do that. Like that's yeah. that's just so freaking draining. Right. Exactly. Yep. So again, I look at if these tools were outlawed, for example, first and foremost, obviously, I'm sure there's some loopholes of you as an owner, how you could still use them. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Like I probably would still be using them. Oh, for sure. Right? But but uh, nonetheless, let's say like it really got serious and it was like there's going to be thousands of dollars of fines or, or risk of your dogs getting taken from you if they found out that you're having or whatever, any sort of hypothetical like that. And yeah. I truly couldn't use them anymore. Mm. God damn. I, I just... I just don't think my dogs would have the quality of life that they're able to have right now. And we could argue that all day long and you could say I'm lazy. You could say I'm not a good trainer then this and that. But the fact of the matter is that is going to seriously impede on your average owner's life. Yep. A hundred percent. So. Yeah. It just (laughs) talk about like, you know, just making more work for yourself in the long run, you know? So, I mean, yeah, like like you said, it totally possible. You could do everything the same way with just doing positive training, but it at at what cost? You know, two years, three mm-hmm. years. You know, and do you have that time? Yeah, and past that again, you get to the deeper conversation of the questionable reliability of what is the um, what is the metric we're using to mm. say what is a trained dog, right? I truly don't know how much exposure Susan Garrett's dogs have to true real-life city environment Mm -hmm. type distractions and situations that you don't have control over where we could really say that she has achieved the reliability that Mm -hmm. we would need in this type of environment. And again, I'm not not like questioning her skill set or anything because for anybody that doesn't know anything about her, and again, I would recommend listening to that podcast with her and Ivan. It was very good, very respectful back and forth conversation, right? Um, But for anybody that doesn't know anything about her, she is like a gazillion time world champion of agility. Yeah. Right. Which is great. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. a it's a challenging sport, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's still a sport. Right. And mm-hmm. and this is starting to become a little bit of an issue with some of Ivan's stance on things. Is He is also a sport trainer who the extent of his dog's real life scenarios that he's exposing them to. And I'm, I'm kind of generalizing here. Right. Is is he lives on a massive plot of land and he does mm-hmm. a lot of things with them and he could take his dog's places and he can go for walks and all that kind of stuff. But like he too is not living in like an urban city environment yeah where you know they're experiencing a lot of the day-to-day struggles of your average dog owner you yeah. know what i mean because there's a very big difference between you living in the country on 16 acres right and you living in a place where you live on maybe zero acres yeah right yeah. And you don't even have a yard and you live in a townhouse with your dog mm-hmm. like half of our clients do right or you have a backyard that's maybe like 20 by 20 feet or something Mm -hmm. like that yeah right like that is that's a massive difference where you cannot avoid problems right they just pop up and then you can get to a further conversation of like well is that a natural environment for dogs to live in isn't that bad for them to live in i could see that perspective for sure Mm -hmm. but you're not going to change it right people want dogs to be a part of their lives and whether they live in an apartment or whether they live on 100 acres in the middle of the woods right people are going to want dogs and they're going to get dogs and unfortunately we need to weigh 
How could we make this dog's life as good as possible in this environment? And that's where punishment kind of comes into play is we have to create boundaries and teach the dog more natural ways of living in those unnatural environments. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the, the biggest one that I, I can, that I always go back to is that one, uh, family in Chicago when we went there and the, the collie kind of dog kind of looked like Lassie. Oh yeah. And this, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they're in the yeah, high, yeah. high rise. Dan, I believe was yeah. his name. Yeah, in a high-rise downtown. Dog's name was like Ellie or something. I yeah. don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, they were on the 43rd floor, I yeah. think, in downtown yeah. Chicago right on the Riverwalk. <laughs> yeah, and and they like don't have that That's time. a good story to tell. We're going to talk about that one. Okay, good. No, good. you got good. Well, I was just going to say that's it, that is a perfect representation of you don't have that time to 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 take that that one dog. wasn't even a time issue, right? Yeah. So so let's give everybody context of that situation. So back in 2018, Josh and I went to Chicago a handful of times training dogs, right? And we got linked up with this couple who had this uh, soft-coated collie, right, that had horrendous anxiety issues, mm. like ridiculous anxiety issues, right? Like, like anytime you take this dog outside, dog would just full-on panic, couldn't focus, stressed out of its marbles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? They lived on the 43rd floor in a small, probably one-bedroom apartment, Yeah, right? And they were in the heart of downtown Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. You step out of their apartment door, and you are in the midst of one of the busiest cities in America, right? You are right in it, right? And... Under most circumstances, when you're looking at like force-free approaches to working through things, you have like a management side of things and a solution side of things. The solution is counter-conditioning the dog's response to things, teaching differential behaviors, um, you know, reinforcing the things that we want so they're more reinforcing than doing the things that they don't want to do. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Oof. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the management side of things is basically avoid the situations that really trigger your dog until you're in a position to address them head on. Right. And, you know, work from a distance from those triggers until you're in a position to work on it. Mm -hmm. Literally impossible with this dog. You can't do it. You can't do it. The dog's trigger is stepping out the front door. You step out the front door, the dog freaked the ever-living fuck out, Mm -hmm. couldn't focus, and was in such a state of trauma from everything going on around it, you couldn't do anything with it. You literally couldn't. Right? So what did we do? We punished noncompliance of known behaviors. That's how we solved the issue, right? We went out there, right? We went for a walk, and we told the dog, you have to focus through this. Mm-hmm. It is not an option, yeah. right? It is dangerous for you to be acting this way out and about because there's fucking trains and cars and buses and everything that could kill you going on around you where if you slip out of your collar or you pull too hard and I accidentally drop your leash or whatever it may be, you're going to die, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, And it's dangerous for me because your behavior is so erratic that in the winter, I might fall due to your behavior, right? I might trip over something. You might pull me into a crowd. You might pull me into the street. Like, it's, it's just it's just such a bad situation, right? Mm-hmm. So what did we do? We shaped a really basic understanding of the heel position, right? And we went right into correcting for the unwanted behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. If this dog tried to drag us into the street, it got firmly corrected for something, Mm -hmm. right? If this dog wasn't paying attention to us because it was too distracted by whatever the fuck was going on over there, it got firmly corrected for it, right? Mm -hmm. And guess what happened? 
We corrected and set the boundaries of the things we didn't want the dog to do, and we got the dog to walk calmly next to us. Yep. I mean, <laughs> was the problem fixed? No. no. The dog was still fucking scared, mm-hmm. right? But guess what happened? The dog was able to start overcoming some of these hurdles and not rehearse the frantic state of mind that it usually would in those types of things of Mm -hmm. taking off and bolting and pulling and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it started realizing over time, this isn't that scary. Yeah. And guess what? Let's say hypothetically the dog never grew to love going outside, but it could keep it under control enough where it didn't freak out and get into this level gazillion intense state of mind of being scared. Mm -hmm. That's a win. Yeah. Because guess what it does? It creates infinitely less frustration and stress for the owner. It creates slightly less fear and anxiety for the dog, which is marginally better than where it was at before, right? Mm-hmm. So I always strive for, we look at sometimes, we need to get from terrible to perfect, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> for a lot of these dogs, that's unrealistic, mm-hmm. right? If we could get from terrible to significantly better but not perfect, that's going to make everybody's life way better, which is a win. Yeah. We don't need perfection. I don't have perfection with my dogs. Vinny doesn't love being in his crate, right? But guess what? He tolerates it enough where it's not a problem. There's not all this stress and frustration on both ends, and and we could live through it, and it's literally just fine. Mm -hmm. It's fine, Yeah. right? So, yeah, that's another case-in-point situation of, like, is it possible to counter condition away that behavior and make that dog like being in those environments without the use of any sort of punishment? <clears throat> yes, but at what cost? Literally. The cost is owner has to uproot their life, move somewhere else where it's going to be easier, or we need to... I mean, there, there's ridiculous shit out there like... like, like like they sell like blinders for dogs, right? Mm-hmm. And goggles you could put over the dog where they can't see. And mm-hmm. earmuffs where it deadens the noise of what they're listening to. Like like we could come up with an Okay, so option 1 is the dog move somewhere else where we could slowly go into more busy environments to work on this, mm-hmm. right? Option number 2 is we could medicate the ever-living fuck out of the dog to a point where it's so subdued and deadened that when you take it into those environments, it's more manageable to work through the problem, which that one is questionable on if it's going to work. And I have very, very serious questionable um, thoughts as far as the efficacy of needing to medicate a dog and subdue them that much to get them to a place where you could start working on this kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. You're talking biologically impacting the entire dog. Right? Oh, yeah. Option number three is we buy every fucking contraption in the state of the the world that reduces what the dog can see and reduces what the dog can hear so that they don't realize that they're in the middle of all of this crazy stressful stuff going on. But then you run the risk of that potentially also freaking the dog out even more, right? Which we see sometimes with people that use like the blinders and the earmuffs and stuff like that. Or option number four is we just tell the dog, you've got to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. You've got to do it. Yeah. I'm going to go with that one. And that sounds the best. Knocking our camera out. I did. Almost. So there's infinite examples of dogs like that that we have where it's just the easier option for the owner. And we know it's going to result in us being able to enjoy a better life with our dog faster, which will then help the dog. 
right? Yeah. So we're looking at this from the lens of, and I always look at a lot of my training like this, right? What helps the owner the fastest? Because a frustrated owner creates a frustrated dog or creates a less good life for a dog. Mm-hmm. Once we get the owner less frustrated, then we could focus on any remaining things we need to with the dog to help yeah. them live a better life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need that. <laughs> <laughs> See that was good. That was a that was a good way to end all of that. I think those are our last thoughts. Our last, yeah, final thoughts. Final thoughts. <laughs> so whatever. That's our last little wrap up of that situation. Again, if you haven't listened to any of it already, head back over, watch those first three parts, and uh, let us know what you think about them. Mm-hmm. So enjoy. Past that, we're going to get into um, just talking about some dogs we've been working with recently. So again, I still have a decent amount of board and trains that I'm working with. Actually, we've kind of hit a point where I'm not needing to train them that much in facility because Senny is heading most of the, the approach on that. But I've been doing nice. all of their send home and follow-up lessons and doing the client interaction side of things. And it's been really nice. Again, especially now that I'm pretty much fully out of one-on-ones. I don't think I'm doing any one-on-one packages right now. I'm just doing the board and train packages. Nice. Um, I've been... Really enjoy. We had we have our so we do a trainers meeting every two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And we get all the trainers together and we just talk, right? It's just an hour that we block out on our calendar to talk about any new things that we're excited about. Talk about, um, you know, questions anybody may have, things they've been getting into, client issues that they've had, whatever. And it's just a cool little roundtable to nice. to discuss, right? And the other day we're, we were having one and, and I was talking to, to Seamus in it and we're talking about follow-up lessons and this and that. And I just, I just sat, I was just like, I'm really enjoying the, the lessons I'm doing right now. You know, mm. I'm, just, I'm just like, it's just, it's nice. You know, like I, mm. I, the board and train follow-up lessons are really cool because it's the one place that you could, you could really just focus on what you need to focus on because you don't, you're not in this like mundane state of needing to teach all this stuff right once you hit the point where the dog goes home from the board and train they effectively know everything at that point right Mm -hmm. so all of my attention goes on to the owner and how they could implement this training into their real life to address things right Mm -hmm. and we've had two dogs in particular lately that have been i mean a lot of them have been very rewarding but two of them in particular that i think have been a little bit interesting right so Dog number one is this dog, Sora, who went home on Saturday morning, right? Mm -hmm. So we haven't done her follow-up yet, but we did do the send-home lesson, and we're going to be posting a video of her today on our Instagram as like a reel that you'll see. This is a dog that owner, young guy, lives down in the flats, young German Shepherd, like two years old, um, really good dog, honestly. Like once we got her into the facility, she's a pretty atypical German shepherd, right? She's a little reactive, really wild, not aggressive, right? She's not Mm. trying to attack people or dogs or anything like that. But like she looks scary in the house because she gets a little territorial over the Mm -hmm. house, right? Mm -hmm. And because of that, he hasn't really been able to introduce her to other dogs very much. Because of that, he can't really have people come over the house, this and that. And but he had done some like extensive training himself with the dog, right? Like he had mm. did a good job of like watching videos. He had an e-collar, he had a prong collar, he did some food work. Like the dog kind of knew a lot of the things it needed to do. So the dog came in for the board and training. We were really just looking to one, get a feel for the dog. So really understand who is this dog and what does this dog need to thrive? Mm-hmm. Right? What things do we need to do or implement to make sure this dog feels safe and like it doesn't need to be territorial over the home? 
be reliable enough in busy environments like being downtown in the flats and walking around and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, how is this dog with other dogs? How is this dog with other people? What sorts of things does it struggle with, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. So we did all that. And and she did great, like right off the rip. Like as soon as he left, like I think he brought her in on muzzle. We were able to get that muzzle off, start working her. She was very friendly, very social, liked to work, played great with the other dogs. So we were able to kind of fine tune and refine everything. So we did the send home lesson. And really, we kind of just got down to the bottom of the dog needed just a little bit better of control on it, right? Mm-hmm. And needed a little bit more firm of accountability for things, right? Because this dog is a very typical German Shepherd, just goes zero to 60 with everything mm-hmm. very, very quickly. The guy had a hard time under really stimulating environments, getting her to focus in, which is why she was cycling into people are coming over. He was trying to do the right things, like get her to stay in one spot or this or that but she just hit this point where she was just like screw it i don't want to do it right and then she would take off and go run and charge and bark at the person or whatever it may be right <clears throat> so we had him start over the course of the send home lesson first we were working her with some food kind of getting her motivated making sure she knew all the things we wanted her to do mm-hmm. then we put the majority of our emphasis onto high level distractions right mm-hmm. so we took her to the park we did off-leash stuff at the park. We worked her around other dogs. We worked her around other people. And we just made sure the accountability was there to make sure that she could focus through that. And it yeah. was so cool because we were able to take her and literally have her off-leash. We were doing off-leash healing at the park. We were walking by people. We were doing these recalls from like literally probably 250 feet away mm. uh, and just tightening little things up. And as yeah. we were doing it, because again, he already kind of knew how a lot of this stuff worked. Mm-hmm. We were able to treat this send home lesson almost like we would treat a follow-up lesson, which was let's focus on the things this guy really needs help with. So one of his things, for example, was, you know, on my recall, she gets so excited to run to me that once she gets to me, she does this like victory lap around me where she'll go like 40 feet away and just zip around and then come all the way to it, right? <laughs> okay. So so we, we set up that exact situation. And yeah. yeah, she came in like a fucking bullet, man. <laughs> so fast. It yeah. was ridiculous. Ridiculous, like full sprint and did exactly what he said, which was this massive victory lap around, which was cute. But at the same time, it's like, girl, you got to slow it down a couple notches Mm -hmm. and you got to stay right next to me with this because what that would turn into is she would do her victory lap. And then if she saw a person or a dog or something like that, that she would rather go to, she would try to run at it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we tighten that up and we work that like. 10 times, which is something that we wouldn't generally do in a send home lesson because usually we're not focused on off-leash training in the send home lesson. We're focused Mm -hmm. on just teaching the person how to use the training. But because of where he was at, we were able to focus on that, right? Mm -hmm. And we were able to tighten that up and show him how it worked and and, and see how, you know, it kind of impacted her behavior in other ways. Because before we worked on that drill, her leash walking with him was like a little sloppy. She was Mm -hmm. much rather be off doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. And she was kind of foraging and pushing ahead and stuff. And once we tightened that up, it was crazy. It went from like her being pushy on the walk Mm. to her like totally glued next to him, beautiful heel position, Mm. walking great. You could see it in her face because she got to like run and like burn off some steam and stuff like that. You could see like how satisfied she looked in her face, right? Mm -hmm. Which which further goes to show again, you get into off-leash, letting the dog be a dog, letting him burn off some energy and stuff, especially with some of these high energy breeds that Mm -hmm. live in like apartment environments in the middle of the city. You got to be able to provide that outlet for them. Oh yeah. You've got to be able to do it, man. Because like Mm -hmm. I, I always tell everybody like, 
Vinny is never more satisfied than when I get to go for like an off-leash hike with him where he could just do what, literally whatever the fuck he wants to do. Yeah. Right? There is no rules. There is no real in your little Malinois brain. It's just burn off some steam, explore, go on an adventure, and then we'll reel it back in later. Right? Mm-hmm. So that outlet sidebar is so important for you to be able to provide for your dogs. Right? Mm-hmm. So whatever, so so we did that, and we noticed just, just again, like how it shifted and changed. You could see he was understanding things better, mm-hmm. and really the solution was just he needed to correct her a little bit more firmly for stuff. He yeah. needed to be more consistent about setting some boundaries with her, right? mm-hmm. and she crushed it. And, and again, you guys will see the videos of it. Like She did so, so freaking good. It was really cool to see. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was one of the dogs. That was Saturday. Um, other dog did a send-home lesson with, I think it was maybe... Wednesday? I don't remember. It was, it was like Wednesday or, or maybe Friday. Sometime last week, right? Mm-hmm. So it's dog Tarzan, right? Tarzan. Tarzan. Tarzan is a really big, thick Australian shepherd. He's a little chunky. Right? Oh, okay. We worked on that a little bit. I think we got him down like 11 pounds while he was with us. Nice. Your weekly ways, right? We dropped a couple of LBs. He was looking good. Had a little bit of waste on him. Ooh. Gave the owner some plans on how to keep maintaining that, getting mm-hmm. down a little bit more. <clears throat> Whatever. So Tarzan is a dog that came to... This is a very interesting one, right? Okay. Getting back to kind of the medication topic here, right? Mm-hmm. Tarzan came to us. He was on, I believe, like Gabapan or like whatever. It's a, it's a pretty heavy-duty anxiety medication, right? Okay. He was on... A hundred milligrams of it, right? Jeez. Which for anybody that knows anything about it, I'm, I'm not the most knowledgeable with medication, but I know from talking to people that a hundred milligrams of that medication is a fuck ton, yeah. right? And listen, this dog was a hot mess when he came in. So I understand why the owner thought they needed to do that, mm-hmm. right? But the we get to, okay, so when I look at a dog like this, right? Total mess, right? And also this dog had been on the Gabapen for a while and was still a goddamn mess. Right, okay. these medications aren't fixing anything. Yeah, <laughs> they're literally not fixing anything. I promise. Yeah. You, right. Here's what he was on medication for: wild Australian Shepherd. Right. We know that. We know how that breed can be. Right. Super frantic, super spazzy, all over the place. Anxiety issues. This, that. Can't focus. Defensive over the owner. Defensive over the home. Guy can't have people come over the house ever. Right. Yeah. Nobody can interact with the dog. Right. The dog has just learned that it could just be a reactive fucking asshole towards anything. Yeah. Right. Zero control. Literally zero control over the dog. Right. Yep. Just a mess. Right. So I told the guy, I was like, listen, I was like, you know, generally speaking, we really like for these dogs to be off of these medications, right? I firmly believe with all of my heart that pretty much every dog that is on a lot of these long-term medications like that, for what the medication does, which is very little in my opinion, right? Training Mm -hmm. can help the issue tenfold past that, right? Mm -hmm. I always tell everybody... If later on you decide you want to put them back on it, that's a hundred percent your choice. But we rarely find. I, I asked him. I was like, I was like, why did you put the dog on the medication in the first place? He's like, well, my vet told me it would be a good idea, right? I was like, why, <laughs> right? No, seriously. I was like, I was like, why yeah. did you think it was going to be a good idea when you guys talked about it? He's like, well, given his reactivity, his, his aggression issues he's have seems like they're fear based and this and that. So they we just we just thought it was going to work, right? Like I can't have people come over the house. We put it on because we wanted to calm him down enough where we could have people come over the house. I was like, can you do any of those things right now? He's like, no. <laughs> I was like, okay. What if I tell you that with training, we could get you to accomplish all of those goals without the medication? He's like, I would fucking love that, right? Yeah. He's like, I don't want my dog on all of these medications. Like, most owners don't want their dogs on all of these medications. Yeah, they just exactly. think that it's the only option, right? 
<clears throat> so he's like, I would, I would absolutely love that, right? So we got the dog in. We consulted with who we needed to on making sure that we had a proper plan for weaning him off because a dog that's on that much medication, he can't just cold turkey them off of it, obviously. Yeah. So we had a plan. We were able to get him fully off of the medication, right? And over the course of his training, this is another big thing that I look at when I look at situations like this, right? Almost right away when we got the dog in away from the owner, the dog was an angel. He was mm-hmm. not frantic and anxious like he was around the owner, right? Mm-hmm. He was not being aggressive towards anybody, right? He mm-hmm. was not being reactive, right? He was being really calm. He was playing with other dogs. He was going for walks in busy areas and and not being all over the place and stuff like that. He was able to focus in around all the in and out and the traffic going on around the facility. He was very calm and chill in his crate. He was, he just like, he was fine. Like he was a good dog. He was a typical Australian shepherd. So that's another bing, right? Red flag that pops up as far Mm -hmm. as this is not a medical issue, right? If I see that changing the dog's environment, taking them from in the home to a new place, and I see a completely different dog when I do that, right? That tells me this is an environmental issue. Mm -hmm. Something going on in the environment is causing the dog to feel like they need to behave this way. Because if this truly was a medical issue, right? The dog's behavior would be consistent across the board of how it responded because it's built into them. It's biologically ingrained in them to be this anxious in new situations, Mm -hmm. right? That was not the case with this dog, which gets back to this is a training issue. So we go through our typical process. We teach the dog the things we need to teach them. We proof things in all these different environments. But I knew in the back of my head because of how bad the dog was with the owner and how good it was almost immediately with us we're going to have some work to do with this owner because the dog yeah. was really, really bad with the owner, mm-hmm. right? And and also, not <clears throat> crazy aggressive, but looked really scary. Yeah. Right? So, send home lesson comes around. We kind of predicted it was going to be a little bit of a shit show when he saw the owner initially, yeah. right? And and it was, it was pretty much to a T what I expected, right? So, brought the dog in. As soon as he saw the owner, the dog immediately just... So uncontrollably aroused, it's it's like not even, it's it's insane how uncontrollably aroused this dog was. Yeah, like jumping, hyperventilating, screaming, like panting so hard, just drools, just fucking falling out of his mouth. <laughs> could not focus in like his face, like the craziest face you could ever yeah. see. Like, ah! <laughs> right, like <laughs> yeah, like just wild and man, this dog yeah. was wild and out. Right, sure. So so. We talked about it, and, and the first, like, 20 minutes of our lesson is pretty consistent across the board. I just let the dog chill. I'm like, I'm not going to ask you to do anything right now. The only thing I care about is that whatever boundaries there are, you got to follow still. So I needed to correct him pretty firmly for jumping on the guy a couple times, okay. right? Nipping at the hands, all that, but he was still just jacked up, right? So we did, like, 20 minutes of that. Dog's still really amped up. So we're like, all right, we're going to start getting into some stuff. And I kind of prepped them for initially. Like, this is going to be, this is not going to be your typical send-home lesson from the standpoint of, like, we're going to go over everything. The dog's going to be nice and focused in. I was like, the problem is very apparent here. This dog is just so obsessed with you, right? And mm-hmm. and it could be for any reason. It could be literally, it, I don't get vibes from this person that he, like, spoils and smothers this dog, like, beyond belief or anything like mm-hmm. that, like a lot of people will when you see dogs like this. Like, I don't get, I don't get those vibes. I get the vibes that this dog is, is just absolutely just thriving for direction and mm-hmm. not getting it. 
And because he's not getting it, he's just, and because he's a little bit of a nervous dog, he's just put himself in this state of mind where he feels like I just have to, I have to, 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 to give the direction myself. I need to defend all the property. I need to defend him. I want the direction, but I'm not getting it. And and he he just, he just couldn't control it. Right. So I was like, this isn't going to be like that. I was like, the problem is apparent right now. We got to get this relationship shifted. Yeah. Right. So we went over that and I was like, even if there's not anything you're necessarily doing that's contributing to this problem right now, there are things we could do to start shifting it, which is start giving that direction immediately. Yeah. Right. And I was like, in this send home lesson, we're going to go through waves with this. We're like, he's going to go from being crazy, uncontrollably excited and anxious. to we'll get him under control for a little bit. And then we'll get back to crazy, uncontrollable and anxious. Then we'll get back under control a little bit. And it's going to go up and down like that. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> so, we start working through things, you know. He he was focusing it, right? We were giving direction. We are doing bad stays. We are doing down stays. He's doing a pretty good job of holding them, but he'd make mistakes every now and then. He could tell it was extremely hard for him to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, we go out on the walk, and, you know, we're walking him, and and with this this one guy, like, he did beautifully with. Like, he walked fine with him because he was obsessed. With him. He wanted to be next to him anyways, yeah. right? With uh, his partner, it was it was a mess, right? Every time his partner was walking Tarzan, Tarzan just kept looking back at the guy, like couldn't focus, like zipping all around the person. Like it was it was it was a mess. Like there was only so much we were able to do in that session with the walk because of how dicey it was, right? Mm. So I'm getting ready to go out of town tomorrow. So we did their follow-up session a little earlier because okay. I wanted to make sure I didn't leave them too long um, because the center we were only able to accomplish so much in it, right? Mm-hmm. So I went to their house yesterday morning and night and day difference. Hmm. literally night and day difference right oh. i was able to go in he was able to make him hold a bed stay while i came in right which prior to me coming there before going to training this dog never let people come in the house he had to lock him up in his crate like you couldn't do wow. it made him hold a bed stay while i was coming in yeah right <clears throat> um we were correcting him for breaking it was able to have him loosen the house with me there totally fine went to take him for a walk um Walked like a fucking angel, right? His partner walked him, walked like an angel for him. And it's just because they started following the direction that I told him to implement. And we're starting to see the relationship shift where there wasn't that crazy, uncontrollable anxiety that we were seeing out of him in the send home lesson. Mm -hmm. He was just starting to get it, right? The Mm -hmm. association was changing from like, things are super consistent and clear at the facility with us, but like with the owners, you know association of all this this crazy craziness and stuff like that it just started to shift and it was it was so cool to see and i even told him i was like there's still a lot more work that we need to do we're going to do another follow-up session in a week with him but the progress we were able to see in one week Mm -hmm. totally off the medication at this point yeah clear training clear rules highlighted the problem shifting the association i mean it's just it's it's just unbelievable honestly and those are the situations that's why i enjoy doing this so much these follow-up lessons is because those types of situations, I'm seeing a lot more of that. Yeah. So that's, that's amazing. It would, <clears throat> do you think it was just like a heightened sense of, I mean, not maybe like a resource guard of, yeah, I of mean, the house and everything? I think or? there was a degree of it for sure. Yeah. But like the dog is really nervous around new people. And, and, and I talk about this all the time too, right? When you have a dog that can get themselves so level 100 jacked up when they get excited to the mm-hmm. point where you can't control it. And this was the same with Sora, the German Shepherd I was talking about, and the same with him. Mm-hmm. A lot of people look at that and they don't see it as problematic, right? Uh, but the problem is if you have a dog that also can get anxious 
it, it just ping pongs, right? It's the yeah. spectrum. I say all the time, really excited, really anxious, right? Mm-hmm. Level 100 excitement can very quickly flip to level 100 anxious, yeah. and both of them are an uncontrollable state of mind. Yeah, so if sure. we can cap it off here a little bit, <clears throat> it caps it off here a little bit also. It makes it yeah. easier to cap it off here a little bit where yeah. we get the balance, yeah. right? Somewhere in the middle. Less swing, yeah. Yeah, less swing with things, right? So certain things that I have people work on with dogs like that, like like him. I had him start working because one of the, the situations was when his partner came over, Tarzan would get so fucking amped up mm. and wouldn't be able to keep himself under control, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, so we started working. Hey, you got to get that. You know, you got to be able to cap that behavior off also. So working bed stays and down stays while his partner came in. Mm-hmm. Right. And making sure that he would be compliant in that situation. Yeah. Right. In situations when he was so amped up to go for his walk and, and couldn't stop wiggling and chilling and stuff like that because <laughs> he was just so wound up. Yeah. We made him do a, a downstay before starting that walk. And, and mm-hmm. he was like, it's like, oh, this is hard, but OK, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then we were able to go for the walk. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like all of those types of things help gain you the leverage for the situations that are really important. Because yeah. a lot of times when our dog is just excited for something, even if they're uncontrollable, we're like, he's just excited. It's no big deal right yeah. it's like like he doesn't have to practice impulse control we can just go for the walk he could pull for the first five minutes because he's excited and then he starts walking nice after that right or yeah partner's coming over and he's super excited and i can't get him to sit or not jump or this or that so it's like whatever we'll just let him say hi real quick and then i'll make him do something yeah. right but that's the same thing with the other side where it's like, well, when people come over and he's really nervous, it's like, we can't keep him under control. So it's like, all right, we'll just let him like bark and try to bite the person for the first five minutes until he chills out and then yeah. it'll be fine. It's like, whatever. It's like, it just doesn't work. You can't do that. Yeah. Right. For sure. So, so we, we focus on all those types of things. And I, with dogs like that, I really try to focus on the situations where the dog is, dog is excited first to gain the leverage mm-hmm. from there. It makes the situations where the dog is not excited and the dog is fearful, like 10 times easier. Yeah. So that makes sense. So those have been two cool uh, board and trains that we've done lately. I mean, we've had numerous other ones. We did another interesting one that you could see on our latest vlog that we posted. Um, did a, a in-home lesson with a dog having some like crate anxiety issues. And we talked about using kind of the FaceTime method to do it, which is basically you set up a camera on the dog, you go outside and you simulate like you're actually leaving mm-hmm. where you're able to actually see the cycle of the dog progressing. Because a lot of times we just look at, we leave, the dog freaks out and breaks out of the crate. We leave, the dog freaks out and starts barking the whole time. Or we leave and the dog moves the crate halfway across the room or, or whatever it may mm-hmm. be, where usually there's a progression of things that the dog does before they get to that full-on uncontrolled state of mind in the crate and in this dog's case we were able to do that we left and she had the situation where the dog would freak out and she would come back home and the crate would be seven feet across the room right so we were able to find first thing that the dog did is it got in the crate and it consistently did this it like and there's like a little like mini golden doodle right Mm. she would roll on her back and just start kicking everywhere Right, and be like, ah. <laughs> right, like, like, and that wasn't what was moving the crate, obviously, but she was just getting herself spun up by doing that specific behavior, yeah. right? Yeah. So we found that is the beginning of the cycle, right? That is the first thing that she does that's uncontrollable because she's anxious. Stop it. Yep. Can't do it, right? We're able to create that boundary for it. We simulated leaving the house like five more times after that, and the dog didn't make a peep. And it just went in, laid down, took a nap. Right now, again, I'm not saying that that's going to be your immediate solution for things, but this is how we start to gain control of these situations. Right? Mm-hmm. We create boundaries. Yeah. The more you create boundaries, 
the more the dog has to think about the things they're doing instead of just acting impulsively about things, mm -hmm. which opens up more opportunities for correct behavior to be reinforced, whether yeah. in the form of us using positive reinforcement and reinforcing it, or whether in the form of the dog just realizing by rehearsing that behavior, nothing bad is happening, which creates a self-reinforcing nature behind the behavior. Yeah. Right? A lot of sport dog trainers talk about this idea that we want to make behaviors that we want out of our dog just self-reinforcing to begin with, right? Meaning mm -hmm. they like doing those things because it's fun, right? Like mm. I like like I like I'm trying to think of a good example here, right? I, I, I'll use a, a dog example here, right? Like okay. so 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 we don't like when dogs jump because, and the behavior is self-reinforcing. They jump on people, they get some sort of attention, whether that attention is us saying, hey, don't do it, and I was pushing them down and them mm. getting pet and stuff like that. So, so I don't necessarily need to correct not jumping to yeah. make the act of, or sorry, I don't necessarily need to reward not jumping in order to get the dog to like not jumping. Right. Yeah. I could correct for jumping and then the dog will realize over the course of the next three times it happens, four times it happens, five times it happens that not jumping gets them the thing they wanted in the first place, yeah. the attention, which then self reinforces that behavior, mm. which makes the dog want to do that behavior. Yeah. Right. Same deal within the crate. I could correct for that dog spazzing out in the crate, and then they could lay down and take a nap in it, and that behavior can become self-reinforcing. They could like going and resting in the crate mm -hmm. because it's good. It's it's nice. It's enjoyable, and I don't yeah. ever need to go in and positively reinforce it. They could start looking forward to going in the crate mm. to go take their nap, yeah. right, or whatever number of different examples you want to use for that, obviously, mm -hmm. right? So we're looking to create this sense of the, th those behaviors becoming self-reinforcing on their own, obviously. Yeah, makes sense. So, so again, lots of situations like that we've been running into. I mean, I, I could think of a gazillion more that we've yeah. done, but 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 all in all, like it's just it's just been nice being able to focus on those types of things. Yeah, love it. Ooh, the Hawaii Cup. You know, <laughs> give myself some some nice pleasant vibes. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so. Yeah, I mean, cool. that's that's what's been new in our world lately, mm -hmm. you know? In addition to us kind of getting involved in all this stuff, we've just been training dogs still. We've yeah. been training dogs. I think I had a couple people comment on the YouTube video. So I think we have, like, like hundreds of comments on, like, those videos we've done those last three. Yeah. Like, the majority of them have been, like, overwhelmingly <coughs> positive or people agreeing or this or that. I think I had, like, one or two people be like, like... Like, you, you, just, you just make these videos and don't train dogs or something like that. I'm like... <laughs> bruh <laughs> I was like bruh we're training a lot of dogs still yeah, we do this once fun. a week yeah. <laughs> once a week for a couple hours the yeah. rest of that time is spent training dogs yeah. so trust me I, I think that especially as you're getting into people having being a part of these conversations I think people need to still be in the weeds with this kind of stuff right mm -hmm. And sometimes we could see that with some of the bigger name people, right? In the YouTube world or, or TikTok world or social media world. They're training dogs, obviously, but the majority of their time is spent being a content creator, mm -hmm. right? Where where sometimes you could get out of touch with what real life is, 
right? And oh, yeah. me doing, getting back to these follow-up sessions, me doing all of these follow-up sessions and going to people's homes and seeing the life they're living with their dogs and, mm-hmm. and, and seeing the life they're living in general, right? Like, like some of these yeah. people are so fucking busy, right? And oh, listen, yeah. I don't use being busy as an excuse all the time, but it's like, mm-hmm. these people aren't professional dog trainers. No. They're just not. So we need to find quick, simple fixes for people that are going to be easy to sustain and that are going to be people-centric to help them get past some of these hurdles that they're having so that they could live a better life with their dog, stress-free, so they could provide the best life possible for them. Yeah. And that's what we're still trying to get across to people, which is why I still love being in the weeds with things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, why do uh, New Year's resolution, you know, people that go to the gym, why do they fail, you know? Because it's too hard that changes their whole perspective their lineup of life or whatever like it's it's an inconvenience to how they're living life and if you make dog training like that that's you're just making it harder for them to to integrate it into their everyday Mm -hmm. situations i think might have been of a stretch of a of a thing, but I, I get you know what you're what getting saying? at with it. And and a lot of our clients that have been to other trainers before a consistent thing that I hear them all say when they come in for their lessons and we do their follow-up lessons is we love how simple you make it. That's been my my approach from the get-go, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's in what commands we teach, how we enforce those commands, mm-hmm. how much we tell the owner to work on them or use them, right? I just want people to have to do as little work as possible with this kind of stuff mm-hmm. while in an, let me clarify, as little work as possible while keeping it ethical still, obviously we got to throw that in there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, yeah. But as little work as possible to, to let the dog just be a dog while still understanding there's some boundaries for their behavior. That's yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's really it is they got, they, you got to realize there's some boundaries for behavior, <laughs> but yeah. I want you to just be a dog and just exist <clears throat> within those boundaries yeah. without me needing to constantly ask you to do shit. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And and they can integrate that into their lives way easier than if you throw a bunch of stuff at them at once, you know. Bingo. So there so that's it is. It. That's what we got. This is episode 110. Yep. Um, this is our little rambling about dog training. And we'll uh, we'll keep things going from there. We'll see you next week. Enjoy it. Bye.